Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Romans chapter 12, we'll be looking at verse 3. Verse 3 of Romans chapter 12. This morning I would like to share with you concerning overcoming low self-esteem. You'll recall not too long ago by the Spirit I was led just to minister along those lines spontaneously by the Spirit. And I thank God that Many lives were touched and hearts were changed as a result. This morning I am led in my spirit to continue along the same lines to share with you from the Word of God concerning overcoming low self-esteem. First of all, let's begin by defining what low self-esteem is. Self-esteem, of course, we know is just one's opinions, opinion of one's, oneself. His thoughts regarding himself. How he sees himself or how he views himself. His own self-worth or value. And we recognize that sometimes people don't see themselves as being anyone special. Or they view themselves as lacking certain talents or abilities. And in some cases, lacking self-worth. That their lives are not real valuable. In other words, who cares if I live or who cares if I die? People that commit suicide. Basically, it's because they have low self-esteem, a low self-image. I believe it's the direct result of sin consciousness, personally. Sin consciousness. When man was separated from God, he was estranged from God. He lost fellowship with God, relationship with God. He fell to that level. He had a sense of unworthiness, guilt, condemnation. As a result, he had a low self-image, low self-esteem, low self-worth. Considered himself to be of no value or of little value because of that traumatic experience of being separated from God. Each and every individual out there really has that sense of, of guilt and condemnation. Some don't know how to interpret it. They don't know what it is. They know there's something lacking on the inside. There's an emptiness there. They don't know how to fill up that void, try all kinds of other things to satisfy that, but they just can't do it because they don't understand the plan and the program of God. Well, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, let's take a look at what the Bible says concerning how we think about ourselves. And let's look at the negative first. In Romans 12, chapter 3, For I say through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. From the Amplified Version, it says it this way, For by the grace or the unmerited favor of God given to me, I warn every one among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought. Not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, but to rate his ability or his, his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned by God to him. So really, in one respect, we can say that it's proper for us not to have an exaggerated opinion of ourselves. We know that there are those that are out there that, that really think wrong about themselves. A lot of conceit, pride, arrogance, and all that. They're somebody special or they're better than somebody else for you know, many different reasons. But the Bible warns us of that and says that we're not to have an exaggerated opinion of ourselves. Now, that's one ditch on one side of the road. But you see, we want to talk about the ditch on the other side of the road. We can't take the other 
exaggerated position. That we see ourselves as no one special in the sight of God. That we see ourselves as not having anything to offer others. That we see our lives as being of little importance, of little value. He doesn't want that also for our lives. Going back to the book of Exodus and chapter 3. We don't want to think of ourselves as being indispensable. In other words, I remember one time when an individual, I was reading after, an article after an individual who was in the ministry and still is in the ministry. Um, but as I was reading that article, I began to, to see in the writing that he had an exaggerated opinion of himself. And you can see if you were you know, follower of his, if you studied some of the things that he was writing, you can begin to see that as time went on, he continued to maintain that exaggerated opinion of himself till finally he began to write things like, well, the Lord has shown me that if I don't get the job done, that the job's never going to get done on this earth. If this ministry doesn't bring Jesus back to the earth, it's just not going to happen, in other words. Well, I've got news for people like that. I said, I've got news for people like that. We're not to be thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. The work of God, the job that needs to be done on this earth for Jesus Christ will get done. Whether we are in it or out of it or get rolled over and run over by it, it doesn't matter. God's work is going to get done. God's will will be accomplished upon this earth. Now, we can choose to be a part of it or we can choose to get in the way of it. That fellow was in dangerous territory. And since that time, experienced great devastation in his own life and ministry. But the thing to remember is this. He had a, an exaggerated opinion of himself, thinking of himself more highly than he ought to think. And as a result, it left the door open to pride, and pride goeth before what? In a haughty spirit. See, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's what took place. People thinking of themselves more highly than they ought to think. So that's one side. We should have that kind of an opinion of ourselves that's exaggerated. That I'm somebody indispensable. And if I don't do it, the work of God's not going to get done upon this earth. That's ridiculous. I guarantee you it doesn't matter who you are, you can be replaced. Come on now. It doesn't matter who I am, I can be replaced. Oh, I know that, you know, some things wouldn't be accomplished, some things wouldn't get done until God got things worked out. But how many of you know that God gets things worked out? Go on and read the history of the Israelites. You'll find out that they interfered with the program of God time and time again and, fall, you know, fell short of the glory of God and delayed things. But thank God He always worked things out because He is the Almighty God. He'll find somebody that will cooperate with Him, in other words. See? So let's not have this exaggerated opinion of ourselves. But on the other hand, let's not go to this other extreme that Moses went. Exodus chapter 3. And we'll look at verse 11. If you read right on through there, you find out that God appeared to him in a burning bush. The, the bush was not burnt, you know, didn't burn up and all that. And God began to speak to him out of the bush and said that, that you know, don't come too close because if this is holy ground. Take off your shoes and all that. Well, in verse 11, Moses said unto God, who am I? Who am I? When God said to him, I want you to go and deliver my people from the Egyptian bondage, Moses said, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? I'm nobody. See, he felt himself to be unfit. 
He was overcome by low self-esteem. He was of the opinion that he had nothing to offer. Why would you select me? Why would you choose me? How important is my life to this work? My life is of little value and of little importance. And this is an important task to be a leader. To be one who will go forth before your people to deliver them from this bondage. Who am I that I should go? Why would you send me? I mean, if I were God sitting on the throne, I wouldn't select me. Have you ever said that? I've thought about that numerous times. Why would you want to call me into the ministry? Who am I? What do I have to give? What do I have to offer? And you always war with all kinds of feelings of inadequacy. Why? Because you feel as though you have nothing to offer. Who am I? And then you have to calm yourself and think like Paul did. Well, I am by the grace of God what I am. And He made me what I am. In myself, I am nothing, but thank God I am what God made me. I am what God made me by His grace. And I have to maintain that attitude. We all have to maintain that position of mind. You know why? If not, we'll be overcome by a sense of low self-esteem, feelings of inadequacy that will absolutely paralyze us and prevent us from doing the work of God upon this earth. Every individual can be overcome by that. No one is exempt. Feelings of inadequacy. Feeling as though I have nothing to offer. Feeling as though I have nothing to give. Somebody else would be better for the position. Do you see that? Then you think like this. Well, if God is God and God's all-knowing and all-wise, and He sees the, the past, the present, and the future, He knows the end, I can't ins insult Him by saying, well, I wouldn't have chosen me. Because that's like insulting him saying, well, you don't know what you're doing. That's true if you think about it. If God calls and selects you and says, I want you to be the one to go and tell these people this thing. Or whatever it is that he wants to convey to them. And you're God's spokesperson for that hour at that moment of time. And you say, well, now, Lord, you know, somebody else has greater oratorical skills than what I have. And you want me to address these people concerning this matter? Well, now, Lord, I think you better select somebody else. That's like saying, well, don't you know any better than, than this? I mean, you're God. You're supposed to be smart. You're choosing me? Obviously, there has to be somebody better, more qualified, and capable and fit. But he said, no, I selected you. I selected you. We have to think along these lines. If he selected you, he did so for a purpose. If he selected you, he did so for a reason. If he selected you... He knows that you'd be able to accomplish what he would have accomplished. Just don't look to yourself. Look to him. He's not going to tell you to do something without equipping you to do it. He's not going to tell me to do something without equipping me to do it. He is smart. He is wise. He is all-knowing. And therefore, if he told you to do something, then you're the right person to do it. Can you say amen? So Moses says, well, who am I? I'm just a nobody. Just a nobody. Who am I? Low self-esteem. Low self-image. Low self-worth. And he could have been overcome by that. Now you say, well, how does that happen? How do we develop that in our lives? Well, one way is because of our social position. Sometimes people are overcome or overtaken by a, a sense of low self-esteem because of their social position. And, of course, they never grow out of that. And they never develop beyond that. And because of their environment, they're a byproduct of that environment. If they meet up with others that are of a higher position, then what happens? If they have a sense of inferiority. And they lack self-esteem. Others are better than they are because of their social position. 
And another reason is due to intellectual weakness sometimes. Well, I don't have the quality education that you have. Now, there I was, a mill worker. I attempted to go to college, but then I dropped out and all that. And as far as I was concerned, I'm not qualified to be able to minister the Word of God in an intellectual way, to effectively communicate the gospel to people. So I used to say, now, why in the Lord would you call me? Why would you call me? There are those that have been through, you know, seminary. There are those that have been through, they've got their, their doctorates in theology and all this other stuff. You know, and why in the world would you call somebody out of a mill crane to go and, and, and to preach the gospel, the good news? And I would war with that. And I was just baffled over it myself. Finally, I had to resign myself to the fact, well, he called me. Why are you questioning that? He called me. He didn't call me because of my education. He didn't call me because of my great oratorical skills. Dear Lord, I, I told you before, I stood before college. You talk about wanting to run from that place when it came time to communication class and they had me to give a report, an oral report. Are you kidding? An oral report? I took my notes up there with me. Someone wondered, well, how can you preach without notes most of that? Well, I, it, God doesn't call you without equipping you. I stood there with every note outlined over that I was going to do. I was going to read this verbatim right off that paper to, this, to the people. Only about, you know, 30 in the class, 25 in the class. And when I got up there, I froze. You never did that. I froze and I stood there. I looked at all those eyes looking at me. Double eyes, you know, just looking back at me. I froze there in that, you know, position. And all of a sudden, I began to tremble and shake. Oh, I could have made popcorn right there. Wouldn't have had to move a muscle because just stood there shaking and shaking. Paper shaking. Everybody looking at me and got worse. <sighs> yeah. And when that was over, I wiped the sweat off my brow and said, I'm not going back to that class anymore. <laughs> you know, that's all there is to it. That's just how I was. You wouldn't get me to talk in front of anybody, ever. Well, since I got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and set on fire to learn the Word of God, and in order to preach and teach the gospel, you just can't get me to shut up. But there's a difference, because you see, when God calls, He anoints and equips people. In other words, don't look to your own skills and abilities because that's just not going to get the job done. How many times do we have to keep saying it that the Bible says it's not by the power nor the might of human strength, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. In other words, I'll put words in your heart and within your mouth that are full of power. Words that are alive and active and energizing, transforming. Words that will go forth and transform people's lives. And I'll anoint you to speak them forth boldly and accurately. And revelation knowledge will flow in a powerful and a mighty way. And people's, of course, lives will be touched and changed as a result. So let God be God. Let Him call, you know, whom He will. Let Him do that, whoever He wants to call. But know this, He'll equip you. He'll anoint you. So that you can be equal to any task that you face. But see, that's how I was. I was looking to myself at, at that time, but then I, I had to stop. And I had to maintain, a, like I said, a right attitude of mind, knowing that if God did call me and saw fit to call me, He is God on the throne. Then He knows what's best. And that's why it's so important not to step out from beneath what God would have you to do. His will for your life. Be in the perfect will of God. Do you know why? Because when you get out from the perfect will of God for your life, you're going to operate in your own strength. That's why I've not expanded out to doing all kinds of other things. I don't want the anointing to diminish in my life by st setting my hand to too many different things. If you set your hand to do too many different things, they may be worthy things, they may be worthwhile things, they may be good things. But you know what, beloved? There's one thing wrong with good things. And that's one too many O's in the word good. They're not God things. They're not God things. 
Some things that are not God things, although they're good things, will cause people to lose the anointing of God in their lives. Because they get so caught up in the work of the Lord, they forget the Lord of the work, and they don't exchange strengths, and they operate in their own abilities and own powers, and that will never accomplish the purpose of God upon the earth. So let's not forget that. And so he was telling Moses to go and do this thing. And Moses says, who am I? Dear Lord, who am I? See, I'm a nobody. That can be because of his intellectual weakness. It could have been because of his social status and environment. It can also be as a result of one's, let's say, moral incapacity. Maybe sometime in his past, you know, he was involved in, in whatever. And, and people deal with this all the time. You know, having problems in the flesh and, and having problems uh, living a good moral life before God. Not breaking any of God's laws and all that. People war with that every single day. Always conscious and aware of the shortcoming that is in their lives. The faults, the failures, the inabilities and adequacies in their lives. To please God like they should or like, you know, like they would want to. Uh, it can also, let's say, arise from de uh, depressing experiences of our youth. When we're a young person growing up. And we experience certain things, you know, in the environment in which we live. It causes us to have a develop within us a low self-esteem, a low self-image, low self-worth. All kinds of things happen. People come from broken homes, uh, homes where there's abuse taking place, physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, and all that. And then they are, you know, reared up in that environment. And they have low self-esteem, experiences of their youth. They don't think uh, anything of themselves. They think they're very, you know, worthless and, and their lives have no value or meaning. And so they're given over to a life of crime, some, a life of prostitution and all kinds of other things, drug addiction and everything else. Because, you know, what values my life have anyhow? I'm not worth anything. I'm not good to anybody. I'm not good to any person. I can't have any, you know, involvement in relationships because they feel they're not good uh, enough, let's say, to, to, to be a mate to somebody else or whatever, or develop relationships. And so they have this sense of low self-esteem. And it, you know, just, just hovers over them all their lives. This is exactly where Moses was at. He says, man, who am I that I should go? I'm not somebody special. I'm nobody important. Why would you ask me to do something for you? And make note of this also, beloved. It can also arise from our not appreciating the, the work of God in our lives and the help that comes from God and the, and the presence of God in our lives. When a person does not know God. You see, that's how it started in the very beginning. Because he fell from the presence of God. He didn't know God then. He was in darkness, groping about in darkness. And because of that fact, he developed this low self-esteem. Not knowing God, not appreciating God, His help, and, and, and seeing God as He really is, a loving Father in His or her own life, whoever it is. It can be a result of that. Now, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. You're close by. If we don't appreciate the work of God in our lives, then we can have a highly developed low self-esteem. And we won't know how to overcome that unless we look back to the Word of God. Now, look at here in Exodus chapter 4. Look at verse 10. Moses felt that he wasn't good leadership material because of certain things that he lacked in his life. Look at verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. In other words... He felt as though he wasn't good leadership material because he lacked when it came to oratorical skills. There was a lacking in his life concerning oratorical skills. He felt as though he was not an effective communicator. 
There may have been a problem, a physical impediment in his speech. Whatever it was, he was of a slow tongue. He was not able to effectively communicate with people. And he saw that as being a flaw, a character flaw. And it meant to him, to himself. See, not to God. It didn't stand in God's way. It didn't prevent God from calling him. But that's how he saw it. See, that's how he viewed it. He looked at his own character flaw and says, there's no possible way. I am not a man of eloquent speech. I do not have or possess great oratorical skills. I cannot be an effective communicator. And I know I must be in order to be a leader. So how in the world am I going to be a leader? See, he's arguing with God about himself. He cannot overcome this low self-esteem. He's trying to talk God out of it. He thinks God doesn't know what he's doing. He thinks God has made a mistake. He thinks God doesn't know he has a problem with his speech. Isn't that amazing? God made him. God knows him. But you see how highly developed this thing is? He has to tell him and remind him and let him know, don't you know all the things I've done wrong with my life? Don't you know all the difficulties that I have? Why are you calling me? Don't you know I'm not an effective communicator? Why are you calling me? You must have not known these things because if you would have known these things, surely you'd have called somebody else. Well, it was really noble of him to let God know how bad he was. Wasn't it? How many of you know that God knew? Obviously, God held him in higher esteem than what he held himself in. He was more conscious of his shortcomings. God was more conscious of his spiritual condition and his heart attitude. He kept looking at his shortcomings and inabilities, but God knew he can use the man. And you know what? He has to war with us just like he warred with Moses. Absolutely. Because every time he wants to tell us to do something or, or there's something for us to do for him, this thing just sticks its ugly head up in the way and says, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. My life is not valuable. My opinion doesn't mean anything. But God doesn't see it that way. He doesn't see it that way. He sees it from a different perspective. How does he see it? Look at verse 11. Moses failed to see, see himself as God saw him, and as a result, he had a highly developed low self-esteem and sense of low self-worth. But in verse 11, I want you to notice this response. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Good question. Well, God always asks good questions, doesn't He? Well, now, Lord, He says, I'm of slow speech. I don't have great oratorical skills. I, I'm not able to effectively communicate with people. Well, who do you think made your mouth, Moses? Hmm. Something to ponder over. Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Life doesn't come from anybody but God. And whether one's been born blind, deaf, or whatever, God made the person. Now, all that's a result of the fall. We know that God didn't make him that way to be that way. That's the result of the fall. But what he is saying is this. You think I'm unaware of the fact that people have all kind of impairments? You think I'm unaware of the fact that there are those that don't have great oratorical skills, that there are those that have impediments in their speech, that there are those that are out there that are blind, deaf, dumb, and, and hold the main and blind, all these different things? You think I don't know that? Who do you think made man in the first place? I did. 
So if I made you Moses, and I'm talking to you Moses, and I'm telling you I want you to do something, do you think I'm not going to correct the situation or empower you with what you need to accomplish my purpose? That's what he was saying to Moses. And of course, he had to think that thing through. But you see, God saw him in a different way. Moses saw himself. Make note of this, please. When it comes to dealing with low self-esteem, only self can help self. I know it can be developed, you know, from outsiders. Your parents can tell you how no good you are and all these different things. People around you can tell you how bad you are and all these different things. And as a result, you can develop low self-esteem, low self-worth, a low self-image, a low opinion of yourself. That's true. But only self can overcome low self-esteem. That's why it's called low self-esteem. It's how you view yourself. It's how you esteem yourself. It is your opinion of your worth. It is your opinion of your value. It is your opinion of your own life. Your opinion. Not somebody else's. Has nothing to do with somebody else. Self-esteem has to deal with self. How you see yourself. How I see myself. And only I can deal with that. Thank God we should help one another by encouraging one another and uplifting one another. But did you know you can have 500 people around you every single day telling you how wonderful you are, how a wonderful person you are, and you can still have low self-esteem if you don't do something about it yourself to overcome it. You'll still see yourself in the flesh. You'll see your character flaws, your inabilities, let's say to, to be pleasing to God as far as you are concerned, and all that. Your ineffectiveness to communicate like He was and all that. And it doesn't matter what others say. They can tell you every single day how wonderful you are, how you, know, how you have all these different qualities that maybe you don't emphasize in your own life. But unless you as a person begin to do something about your self-esteem, then nothing will be done by it and you'll be overcome by it and you'll be continually under the oppression of it for the rest of your life. But... If you'll begin to realize, I'll begin to realize that only I can deal with my own self-esteem through the Word, not without the help of God. I'm talking about through the Word. Then I'll begin to overcome it. I'll rise up above it. You say, how do we do it? Make note of this. We overcome low self-esteem, number one, by seeing ourselves as God sees us. By seeing ourselves as God sees us. Number two, by recognizing the work of God in our lives. By recognizing the work of God in our lives. Number one, by seeing ourselves as God sees us. Number two, by recognizing the work of God in our lives. Number three, by esteeming these truths. And this is so important. By esteeming these truths. Those first two, those truths. Seeing ourselves as God sees us. Recognizing the work of God in our lives. And it... And by our esteeming these truths above, you ready for this? What we think of ourselves and what others think of us. How do we overcome it? By recognizing God's work in our lives, seeing ourselves as God sees us, by recognizing the work of God in our lives, and then by esteeming these truths, 
See, we extract those truths from the Word. But by esteeming these truths above what we think of ourselves, what I think of myself, and what others think of me. That is an important part. Don't neglect that part. And then fourthly, by learning how to forget the past. By learning how to forget the past. By learning how to forget the past. I, I want those four things to be revealed first of all. Now we're going to start right here. Number one. By seeing ourselves as God sees us. Look at Matthew's Gospel chapter 10 and verse 31. Matthew's Gospel chapter 10 and verse 31. We have got to begin seeing ourselves as God sees us. Not as others see us. And not even as I see myself. Because if I look in a mirror and see myself, I say to myself, why in the world would God select you? How in the world can God use you? I'm looking in a mirror, looking at myself. What in the world does He see in me? In this flesh dwelleth no good thing. As far as I am concerned, I lack great oratorical skills. I don't have the ability to effectively communicate to people the gospel message. I don't have, you know, beneath my belt of 57 cent words. I just have never learned all that stuff. Now, how in the world can God use me? What in the world are you seeing me, Lord? Well, if I just look at all my character flaws and faults and failures and shortcomings, I will be smothered by low self-esteem. And I'll be under its dominion. For the rest of my days. But if I look in that mirror and say, I choose as an act of my will to begin seeing myself as God sees me, estimating my life as God estimates it, having, holding God's opinion of, of my life rather than my own, things will then quickly begin to change. In Matthew 10 and verse 30, well, let's start, back it up to verse, let's see. 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. In other words, the Father God holds in exceeding value those for whom Jesus died. Those for whom Jesus shed His blood. He, in His own estimation, in His own opinion, holds all human life. Those for whom Jesus died in exceeding value. He says, it's the pearl of great price. We are His jewels, His prized possessions. For we've been redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold and things that men hold dear to their hearts. We are so valuable, we are so much worse that the only way we could have been purchased or bought back to God, what was the possession or what was the price of redemption? The very blood of Jesus Christ. God looked down over the banisters of heaven. He saw a wicked humanity. But through it all, He saw a prized possession. He saw the pearl of great price. He saw jewels in his sight. And he says, you're worthy of it. You're of great value. Your life is so full of value and importance to me, in my opinion, that I, I am willing to send my son to die just for you. That's how important you are. Now, that's beyond our ability to think, isn't it? 
Because we can't really comprehend all that that entailed. We can talk about it and we can share with it in it. But I'll tell you what, beloved, to think that your life is of such value that Jesus Christ would come to die for you, that's beyond my ability to even comprehend. Because Jesus says, greater, no, there's no greater love than a man laying down his life for his friends. That's how important you are. That's how important I am. So do I, when I look at that mirror, do, what do I do? Do I belittle the work of God? Do I berate the workmanship of God by saying, I'm nobody? No, if I've been recreated in Christ Jesus under good works, I'm his prized possession. And so are you. And as far as he is concerned, you're of exceeding value in his sight. So number one, and we'll do it quickly, we have got to maintain this right attitude. We must see ourselves as God sees us, not as we see ourselves in the flesh. We must view ourselves as God views us. He sees us as valuable. He sees us as precious. He sees us as being people of great worth. And so he says, I want you to be my own. And he sends Jesus to die. Okay, number two, Isaiah chapter 6. You'll notice that Isaiah is no different than Moses, and neither one of them are any different than we. When they were in a position where God wanted to use them for any task, the first thing that was outstanding in their lives was their own self Unworthiness, inability, unholiness, uncleanness. Look at here in chapter 6, verse 1. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twenty covered his face, and with twenty covered his feet, and with twenty did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and the post of the door movement at his voice. At the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In your sight, Lord, I am nobody. I'm undone, unfit, unworthy, unholy, unequipped, unprepared. Dear Lord. See what he was saying about himself? I'm unfit. I'm unqualified. I'm undone. I'm cut off for sure, he was saying. I'll never meet your standards. You're so holy. I'll never be able to meet your standards. That's because he failed to recognize the work of God in his life. To see himself as God saw him. But number two, to recognize the work of God. I want you to see this because in a moment here, you'll see that he recognized the work of God and it changed his entire countenance. Look at this. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. And thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. 
What an attitude change. What a difference that took place. Once he recognized the work of God. Beloved, when his lips came into contact with that live coal, which was representative of what? The consuming fire of the holiness of God, the purging fire of God. I'm telling you, when he recognized the work that God had done in his life to clean up his act, to qualify him, to make him fit, he says, here I am, Lord, send me. Now, unlike Moses, you know, he went forth in the right spirit. Moses went from one side of the spectrum to the other. In the beginning, he had low self-esteem. And then on the other side of the spectrum, he began to go forth in the power of his own strength and start to kill off the Egyptians. And in his own strength, he killed one and got into trouble, all kinds of trouble. And you know what? God had to take him on the backside of a mountain, get him in his presence for a while to get his, his thinking straightened out. First, he had a low opinion of himself. Then he thought of himself more highly than he ought. Then finally, God got on balance and he went off in the right spirit and frame of mind. And what did he do? He let God be God through his life and did all kinds of marvelous, wonderful miracles and all kinds of different things. Not because he was somebody special, but because God got his mind straightened out and his heart straightened, his thinking straightened out. Same thing here with, with Isaiah. Isaiah was a man who thought himself of being unclean, unqualified, unequipped, unprepared, unfit to do anything for God. But God straightened him up. He said, recognize my work in your life. Got that live coal. The things of God are alive. Did you know that? The things of God are alive. Got the live coal. The consuming fire of his own is to clean up his act. And when he did, the purging took place and the fire consumed him. And he went forth and began to proclaim the things of God. So at the beginning, he failed to see himself as God saw him. But then he saw himself as God saw him. And he also failed to recognize the work of God. And now he recognized it. And then he went forth in the power of it to proclaim truth. Now, look at the next. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And these, things are, these two are going to flow together here. We have to... Uh, for ourselves, and only we can do it for ourselves, we also have to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. Secondly, we have to recognize the work that God has done in our lives. You know what? Our lips have not been touched with a live coal from off the, the altar of sacrifice. But you know what? Our spirits have been regenerated by the life of God and the Spirit of God. And the Holy Ghost has come in us to purge and purify our lives. The penetrating and purifying action of the Holy Spirit. And when we got spirit filled, there were cloven tongues like as a fire. Which signified the fact that we were pure before God. Made holy before God and declared righteous before God. So what we must begin to do is esteem the truths of the Word of God concerning how God sees us. And concerning how, uh, what He has done in our lives through the new birth and the Word, and then do what? Esteem those things higher than how we view ourselves or we think about ourselves or how others see us. See, others can look at you and, and see all kinds of terrible things about you that you're not worth anything and that you're not qualified, you're not equipped, and you're a nobody, you're not somebody special, and, and all that, and, be, and put you down and berate you and, and belittle you and all that. But you know what? That's not something that we're to feed on. We are to feed on what the Word of God says about us because, you ready for this? We are His workmanship. That person that told you that didn't make you. I'm going to say it twice. He also didn't remake you. He didn't make you and He didn't remake you. 
Thank God He made us and He recreated us. Do you see that? So esteem these truths, and there are many of them. But like I said, you have to find them for yourself. I'll give you a little, little hint, a little help. Get Brother Hagin's little book called In Him. A little mini one called In Him. Find out who you are in Him. Take all those truths and exalt them above other people's opinion of you and your own opinion of yourself. In other words, begin to see yourself as God sees you and recognize the work that He has done in your life and esteem those things higher than what you, you, know, you think of yourself and others think of you. And then begin to do what? Forget the past. Learn how to forget the past. So with all that together, look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Learn then how to forget the past. In this particular verse of Scripture, it says... Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. Old things, behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible also. Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ the Messiah, he is a new creature altogether, a new creation. The old, previous, moral, and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, a fresh and new has come. We must... Then begin to do something about forgetting the past. We must learn how to forget the past. We see ourselves as God see us, sees us. We recognize His work that He's done in our lives. We esteem those things above what others think and what I think of myself. And then you ready? And then we must learn how to deal with and forget the past. Because the enemy will always use our past to do what? To keep us under this oppression of low self-esteem. And this is how. This scripture says, if any man be in Christ, are you in Christ? I'm in Christ. Then notice this. A new creation. A new creature. A new species, if you will. That never before has existed, one translation says, has come into being. Well, what do you think of when there is a birth a, a newborn babe comes into this world. That baby does not have a past. As far as the past is concerned, there is none. It's a brand new babe, a brand new child, a brand new life, and a pure and clean slate. If any man be in Christ, this is not just he's going to live his life by new religious order. It's not just a type of reformation. Beloved, what took place at the time of regeneration was an actual new creation. God took us by His Spirit and not just renewed us. He recreated us. He changed us. Took out the old spirit. Put in a brand new spirit. Made us babes in Christ. New creatures, a new species of being that never before existed, and says, I have obliterated your past. It's gone. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. Anything you've ever done in your life is wiped out of my memory. I put it in the sea of forgetfulness, he says, and that's where it's at. I don't even know it happened. It's gone. Yet people will go through their lives and all the things that took place before the act of regeneration can surface. They think of those things. Those things dominate their lives, control their lives. 
and they don't know what to do with it and how to respond. Yet this is a truth of the Word of God. What do we do? Well, look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. First of all, let us show that we're all in the same boat. No one is exempt from having the past keep them in bondage to a sense of low self-esteem or low self-image. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, obviously, the Apostle Paul warred with the same thing. He said, I consider myself to be less than least of all the saints. He said, if there's anyone who should really be under any type of low self-esteem, it should be me. Because I'm the one that persecuted the church of God. If there's anyone who was not deserving of the calling of God upon his life, it was me. Because I murdered Christians. I blasphemed the name of Jesus Christ. I stood against everything that he stood for. That was Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. Brethren, in verse 13, he says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting. Everybody say forgetting. forgetting. Say it again, forgetting. forgetting. In the Greek, it means to lose out of mind. To lose out of mind. It means to neglect. It means to treat with inattention or disregard. To lose out of mind, to neglect, to treat with inattention or disregard. It means to disregard intentionally. To disregard intentionally. It is a decision of the will to disregard that which took place in the past. To neglect it. Give no attention to it. To lose it from one's mind. Only self can do that. You can't do that for me. And I can't do that for you. Only self can do that. The Apostle Paul knew that. He warred with the same things that we war with today. He murdered Christians. He had a sense... Of lack in his own life, of unworthiness, felt he wasn't qualified because of all the above stated that we talked about, all the things that he did. He felt he had nothing to offer, nothing to give, and considered himself to be less than least of all the saints because of his past, because of how he persecuted the church, and because of how he committed murder, committing murder, killing Christians. But he recognized that God had called him. He recognized God saw him differently. God didn't view him that way. He realized that God forgave him and his past was in a sea of forgetfulness and that he was a new creation. So he knew the importance of forgetting. Beloved, forgiving is one thing, forgetting is another. We forgive and we learn how to forgive, but many times we fail to learn how to forget. And therefore, we don't know how to deal with the photographs that the enemy brings up of our past and flashes before us. 
You ever have a photograph of the ocean? You ever have a postcard someone sends you of the ocean and you see the, the, the sunlight and you see the, the water and you see the beach? And, you know, there it is right there before you. Well, when that postcard came, it was probably December the 20-something. And it was absolutely freezing in the month of December. It was probably three degrees outside. And you were just, you know, clothed in all the warmth that you possibly had. Had your heat turned up, the fireplace going and everything else. And there you were just absolutely frozen, even in your own home. But this postcard came and someone was somewhere in some place, you know, around some warm water with sunny conditions. It's only 87 degrees here, they said. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's absolutely wonderful. And the moment you got that postcard, you just jumped out of all the clothes you had. You put on your bathing suit and you got that little postcard, set it on the ground and try to jump in the water. Did you ever do that? Why didn't you just jump into the warm water, warm water in the sunlight? Because it was only a photograph. They didn't send you the ocean. Right? And I guarantee you, if you try that, your wife will have you committed the next day. Maybe the same day. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, just trying to get my husband out of this postcard. It was only a photograph. It was only a photograph. It wasn't the real. You can't dive in. It's not 87 degrees there in that picture. The enemy will bring up our past with photographs and postcards. You know, he's in a postal business sending out postcards. Did you know that? One over your house, one over mine, one over yours. To show you pictures, images, photographs of your past. And all they are, are what? Pictures. They're not real. You can't swim in a postcard. It's not real. Oh yes, there's an image of it. But it's not real. So when it comes, what are we to do? Neglect it. Lose it from the mind. Give it no attention. Treat it with inattention and disregard. And say, devil, that picture is from the past. That person died in Christ. That person is alive in Christ. And that picture is from the past. It's only a photograph. It's not even real. You know what happens to it then? It goes right on back into that. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. But it's also lost from your mind then at that time. Do you see that? It's lost from your mind at that time. No, you can't stop those thoughts from coming and and at times rising up. And the picture of it is right there. But you can stop its effectiveness. You can stop it right in its tracks right there. You can say, thank God that person's dead. Thank God that person is, is cleansed by the blood. Thank God I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you say, well, what about since that time of Christ? No, it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. I'm telling you something right now. If your heart is right before God today, the same is true. Under the blood, there is not just a covering for sin. When there's a covering for sin, beloved, you can have something. You can place it underneath. Here, you you can get something such as this piece of paper. And there it is. It's real. I cover it with the Bible. And you can't see it. It's there underneath that Bible. But it's still there. Under the Old Testament, they had a covering for sin. They had a covering for sin only. They had limited righteousness. And they could only have their sins covered. And every year, once a year, the high priest had to go in and, and, and make an atonement for sin. Why? Because their sins were always there. But they were covered. 
by the blood of bulls and of goats and, and heifers and all that. It was never remitted. They were never removed. They never taken away. Never placed in a sea of forgetfulness. They were always there. And once a year, they were reminded of their shortcomings, reminded of their flaws, reminded of their inability to please God, reminded of all those things that produce sin, consciousness, and a sense of low self-esteem. But, beloved, we have a better covenant. It's established upon better promises. And thank God, when you say, I ask you to forgive me by the blood of the Lamb, it's not like this, that your sin is still there. The blood of Christ, thank God, is so much better. It's speaking better things than that of Abel's and any other Old Testament sacrifice. It's not there anymore, thank God. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. It's wiped out, obliterated. There's no offense. The Bible says if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you. If you identify yourself with your shortcoming, He will forgive you. Your sin is remitted. It's gone. It's wiped out. It's as if it never took place. But the problem is, is to lose it from our minds. And press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, Paul said. And if Paul didn't understand and, and learn how to forget the past, you know what? He would have never had the motivation to go on to the future, to go on and press toward the mark for the prize. Because that would have held him in bondage. But thank God he learned how to forget the past, to lose those things from his mind. And every time they surfaced once again, he said he knew how to, to speak the right things, the right word, and say, this is what God, how God sees me. Thank God this is how my Father sees me. I recognize the work of God in my life. He made me a new creation. And by the blood of the Lamb, it's, it's not only covered, but cleansed and remitted and wiped out and gone. It's in a sea of forgetfulness. And so, you know what? I lose that thought from my mind right now. You know what? I neglect to give attention to that thought right now. I treat it with inattention and disregard. And as far as I'm concerned, it's wiped out. It's forgotten. Oh, thank God. Thank God. And that's something that we can only do for ourselves. Let's close with Ephesians chapter 2. As an act of my will, I disregard that thought intentionally. No, we can't stop thoughts from coming. But thank God we can learn how to forget. By knowing what the Scriptures teach. And finally, we'll close it right here. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Because this chapter talks about our past. Whether we recognize it or not. And if we'll just see it clearly and begin to apply these things that I said here this morning by the Spirit, we'll deal with low self-esteem and low self-image. You say, but brother, I thought you'd just lay hands on me and go away. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't get rid of low self-esteem and low self-image low self-worth by having hands laid on you. This is something that we have got to do every single day of our lives to forget those things that are behind us and doing all these other things. One, two, and three. Look at verse one. And you hath he quickened who were dead. Yes, I was dead. I was dead in trespasses and sins. As a matter of fact, look at verse two. In time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past. Doing what? In the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Yes, all those things were true. All those things existed. And in that frame of mind and of heart and of position that we were in, we did all kinds of things that displeased God. And that God is not, was not pleased with and would never be pleased with. And, of course, we are maybe ashamed of. But thank God, that's in the past, the Bible says, you were, it says, and were is past tense. But now notice this. But God, who is, 
rich in mercy, for His great love with He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath He quickened us together with Christ, for by grace ye are saved, and raised us up together, made us sit in heaven, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. For now we are, we were, but look at verse 10. For we now are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I was that person, but now I am a new creation. I now am His workmanship. God does not do poor workmanship. God does not create us partially righteous. He does not recreate us a little bit righteous or holy. He recreates us righteous. We are the righteousness of God in Christ, in Him. Why? Wherefore, remember that you being in, in, in t- time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the com- covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. That's who we are now. We were lost in sin, did all kinds of horrendous things, but thank God that's who we were. But now we are new creations. Now the, middle, the wall of partition has been torn down, broken down. We have peace with God. We are His very own. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And we are right now the temple of the living God. God is dwelling in us. God is living in us. He is at work within us. He has made us who we are. Let's forget the past because we don't look good in the past. Let's look into what the Word of God says about us now and develop a good self-image of who we are in Christ. And beloved, we will overcome low self-esteem. Can you say amen? Amen. Meditate on that and I guarantee you, learn how to forget the past. Put those four things into practice in your life. And Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.